Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast and being a part of our church family here at New Hope. Our senior pastor, Dr. Benji Kelly, is currently leading us through the entire Bible in a series called The Story. Now here's this week's podcast. Hey, what's up, New Hope Church? Hope you guys are doing great there on the East Coast and into Kenya. While you are there, I am in San Antonio, Texas with my good friend Max Lakato and Randy Frazee of Oak Hills Bible Church. I want you to pray for me today. As you know, they do everything bigger in Texas, and I am preaching today at Oak Hills Bible Church, and I truly, truly covet your prayers. I also, even though I'm thankful to be with Randy and Max, I'm also wishing I was right there with you because you have two amazing women of God ready to share the Word of God with the people of God in the house of God. I am talking about Kristen Welch and Maureen Kaderi. Let me tell you a little bit about these two amazing women of God. Kristen Welch is the founder of Mercy House. I visited the Mercy House with all the campus pastors and my wife, Amy Lynn, in 2014 on a vision trip. This is one of the most remarkable ministries on the planet that ministers to girls who've been called up in the slums and the sex trafficking trade, often having to have abortions, and often being called up in this lifestyle by sheer necessity of having to feed their families. Kristen Welch was touched by this area of the world just as we have been. And as a result, our church sponsors so many children through Compassion International. And I'm so proud of those of you who sponsor needy children around the world. Kristen was impacted deeply and she formed this partnership with Maureen Kaderi, who is now the executive director at the Mercy House. And I had the unbelievable privilege of meeting her. And I'm telling you, church, you are going to experience two amazing women of God who God is going to use today to minister to us and continue to spur our church on in hope missions. Most of you know my wife, Amy Lynn Kelly, leads this ministry in our church, Hope Missions. And I'm just so grateful for the way in which these three women have set up today to spur us on in the direction of the early church. You know that we are right in the early church, the book of Acts. And today we are going to see living testimonies of what it looks like for the church to be the hands and the feet of Christ. And it was through that church 2,000 years ago that God set the world right in the gospel of Jesus. And it is through that kind of church today that God continues to build His church and shine His light in the midst of darkness. Hey, pray for me. I am praying for you. And I can't wait to be right back here with you next Sunday. God bless. In 2010, I traveled to Nairobi, Kenya to write about poverty in the slum in an effort to get children sponsored. I set out to write a story, and really that story has been writing me. Mercy. 
compassionate treatment of those in distress. I saw this human suffering, young girls prostituting themselves on the corner, very oppressive and dark, and I was mad at God because I wondered how he could allow so much human suffering. It was like his finger pointed in the middle of my chest and said, how can you allow it, Kristen? What are you doing about it? And that's when we started Mercy House. House, a building for human habitation, especially one that is lived in by a family or small group of people. We never really set out to create this nonprofit. Um, we just wanted to help girls. Mercy House funds two maternity homes in Kenya. And in those homes are dozens of girls and, and their children. It's taken years to see transformation and results in, um, but it's happening and it's powerful. Our vision at Mercy House is to remind every woman in the world that they're not forgotten and to empower them to really be set free from physical, economic, and spiritual poverty. Welcome to New Hope, whether it's your first Sunday or if you've been here for a while. Today's just a little bit of a different kind of day, so we invite you just to get comfortable. Um, and as we've been journeying through the series, The Story, um, we've been on this journey from Genesis. We're ultimately going to end up at Revelation. But the past couple of weeks, we've been exploring the Gospels and the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ and all those amazing stories. But today, we turn a little bit to the book of Acts. And if you had a chance to read, if not, go home and read it. If you've ever thought the Bible was boring, the book of Acts helps you um, discover that it's not so much. It's really an exciting narrative of the early church. And we as New Hope have the amazing opportunity to dig into Acts a little bit. And so before we do that, as a church, I wanna say a huge welcome to all of our church families at all the different campuses, whether you're here in the Carolinas or in Kenya or those who are watching online or on the iCampus. So we just wanna do a big welcome. So let's give a big welcome to all of our campuses today. So let's start off by just really digging into a portion of Acts, Acts 2. Um, we're going to take some time to read together a few verses that really highlight some of the amazing hallmarks of the early church. We're going to read Acts 2, verses 41 through 47, and it'll be on the screen. So let's take some time and read that together as we, and just look for what hallmark traits were found from the very beginning in the Acts of the church. Let's read together. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes 
and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So wow, what an exciting church being described there in those early days. There was a contagious faith, thousands that being added daily, just a revival that was happening as the gospel message was being proclaimed. But one of the things that really stands out that we're going to kind of take some time today to talk about is that missions wasn't a department or a trip they went on. Instead, it was an opportunity to look around and see anyone in need and figure out how to come alongside and help that need, whether that's a spiritual need or a physical need. And so today, we wanted to share with you a couple of examples of two amazing women who truly have given their lives to investing in sharing the gospel. And we're gonna share with you how New Hope Story has been woven together with these two individuals. And so we're so excited that you guys are here. Um, Kristen Welch is an incredible blogger, wearethatfamily.com, um, an author, and we'll hear a little bit more about all that she does. But you already, Kristen, you had a platform with a blog that thousands and probably millions were already looking, and yet your world was rocked recently. Tell us a little bit about that and what happened with that journey. Well, thank you for letting us be here today and sharing our stories. Um, we hope that you'll become a part of it and that our story will impact your story. Um, I grew up in church, and by the time I was 12 years old, I'd already been a decade um, really receiving um, from everything that my church had to offer, and um, I can't remember not being a Christian, and I just have that uh, testimony of um, the way that I was raised. And as a young girl, I started writing stories, and I knew that I wanted to be a writer someday, and, and I offered that gift to God. and. Um, at the same time, um, about the time I was in my mid-30s, I was also really pursuing the American dream. And I think it's easy in our culture to get wrapped up in all the things, the stuff of this world. And so I was writing a blog to moms and women, and I was also trying to figure out how to fill my life and, and find purpose. And, um, the American dream really was more of an American nightmare for me because the more stuff I acquired, the more I got, the emptier I felt. And instead of filling me up, it was really draining me. And so it was about that season in my life in 2010 that I was writing and I got a phone call um, from Compassion International and they asked me if I would consider taking a trip as a blogger and really taking my blog to Nairobi, Kenya to write about poverty in the slums. And it was an honor to receive that call, but I said no. And that night I told my husband about the phone call and about my decision, and he, he was dismayed and said, you're crazy, why don't you wanna do this? This is such an opportunity. And I said, I am afraid it'll change me. And he said, maybe it should change you. Maybe that's why you should go. And so um, at that point in my life, as just this middle-class Texas mom, it was the biggest yes I'd ever said, just getting on that airplane, and um, I woke up in a slum in Kenya, and everything I knew about God and all that faith I had received for all those years 
really collided with what I saw um, in the slum that day. And there was a young woman who had grown up in Compassion, who was our tour guide, into the slum. And um, what I was talking about on the video when I said that um, I asked God how he could allow so much human suffering. And he asked me the same question that day in the slum. And everything that I had received really just made me question who I was and what my purpose was and why I felt so empty. And this young lady took our tour into the heart of the world's largest slum. And we stood in the home of a young boy who was uh, somewhere out there as his sponsor. His name is Vincent. And his home was unique because he was a total orphan. And this was an orphan-led home. And it, this was a term I had never even heard of. I didn't know that there were orphans that were actually also parents. And um, he, was, he had become the parent to his siblings, and uh, not by choice, but by uh, just providence as a young man who had lost everything. And as I sat in his home that day with my fellow writers, I just was moved with um, compassion for him. And really, if I'm honest, I felt sorry for him. He had nothing. His home was just barely held together by mud and tin. It was so small, there wasn't a bed uh, to lay on. At night, he told us how he would lay his clothes down and lay down beside his brothers. He shared how he did his homework and pulled out his one candle and lit it for us and told us how he got up at 4 a.m. to walk his brothers to school and how hard it was to um, provide for them and compassion had helped him uh, sell vegetables on the weekend so that he could provide for his family. And I, I felt sorry for him. I felt sorry for Vincent. But what really contradicted what he was saying and what I was seeing was the joy on his face. And so at the end of his story, he asked the bloggers in his home if we had any questions. And my hand shot up. And I asked him that day, Vincent, how can you be so happy? You have nothing. And he looked at me offended. And he said, ma'am, I have Jesus. He is enough. And his words were like a slap in my face because I had Jesus too. I had had Jesus my whole life, but he hadn't been enough for me. And I realized that day that all the stuff that I had and all the things I filled my life with and all the layers I'd built between me and God had really made me spiritually poor. And it took a young boy in a very sad situation to teach me what true joy was. And, and really, he showed me that I was the one that was poor. And I left Kenya after that trip and decided that I was going to live my life differently. I was going to make Jesus the main, the main thing in my life instead of adding him to my life, but live my life from that place. And actually the woman who led me um, into the slum that day is sitting here next to me, Maureen Owino. Kaderi, she's been married <laughs> since then. Wow, oh, so fantastic. 
Uh, and so I love how Kristen talks about um, spiritual poverty, but as a contrast, um, Maureen, um, you really grew up um, experiencing physical poverty, having grown up in the slums yourself, and just a tremendous um, story that I want you to share, but I'm going to give you the good news before she starts telling that is that you were, you had a compassion sponsor um, who rescued from that, and so for those of you who are sponsors, pay close attention to what, um, what the sponsors wrote, and for those of you who aren't, you can just hear the amazing testimony. So share with us a little bit about that, especially talking about how poverty has shaped you but not determined your future. Thank you. Uh, it's an honor to be here and I thank God for the opportunity. Thank you for having us here. Um, I thank God um, for my testimony and um, for my story because actually it's not my story, it's, it's God's story. Uh, I was nothing. He moved me from being nothing to something and nobody to somebody. And uh, for sure, if it was not for God, I don't know where I would be right now. Maybe I would be dead, maybe I would be a prostitute somewhere or have HIV or with so many kids or maybe I would have aborted so many other kids. Uh, but I thank God because um, I grew up in one of the largest slums in Kenya uh, called Karubangi and life in the slum is not easy or any place that we would want to be, but that is where I was born and that is where I grew up. And uh, when you walk to the slums, there's a lot of trash everywhere. And uh, the sewage, raw sewage passes right outside the doors and the houses. And uh, you know, you will not know if you're stepping on poop or which kind of trash that you're going to step on. There's no, there was no running water for us or clean, and if we had to get clean running water, we would walk miles and buy that water. So my family could not afford even to buy the water. So those are the days that we never had a shower or clean water uh, to drink. There's a lot of survival prostitution that takes place in the slum where women and young girls just prostitute for food and to be able to fend for their families. A lot of girls do backstreet abortion. There's a lot of rape. It was sad for me to see my own friends being raped with their own dads, their own uncles, their own brothers, and even neighbors, and nobody did anything about it. This was a common thing, and it happened every day, every minute. And um, we didn't have, the, you know, this harmful liquor being brewed there, a lot of uh, drug abuse. People live a very hopeless life. We lived a very hopeless life. My dad was a casual laborer. My um, mom was not working, and my dad, if he got a job, that is, he would earn $10 or less than $10 a month. And we lived in this small house, probably 10 by 10 uh, cubicle, and maybe the size of your bathrooms or closets, or maybe your closets or bathrooms are, were bigger than, uh, are bigger than our house, and uh, it was not cemented. Uh, the floor, you know, was not cemented. The walls were made up of uh, mud, and the roof tinned uh, iron sheets that had holes um, on them. And uh, we didn't have electricity. And if it rained at night or even during the day, especially at night, we'll have to look for a corner for all of us to stand. We never had a bed. It was like a small house that was self-confused because the bed, uh, the Bedroom was there, the kitchen was there, and everything happened uh, there. We never had a bed, so we'll take, at night we'll take off our clothes and lay them down to sleep on. And this was a family of six, our parents, and lay them down. And if it rained, it meant we could not go back to sleep because um, the floor was wet. 
and so many other days that in the morning, uh, my sister and I really cried because our uniforms were wet, our, you know, our books were wet, and we were, you know, our eyes were full of sleep because we had not slept the, uh, the whole night, and we went to school crying because our teachers would not understand. Uh, we could not afford school fees, so we were on and off the school because of what my dad was earning. And um, there was no bathroom where we stayed, so we would take a plastic bag, release our waste in the plastic bag. We used what is called a flying toilet. And once you release your waste in the plastic bag, you swing it and let it go. So wherever it falls, that is where it's meant to be. If it falls on somebody who was passing his head or face or body, that's where it was meant a day. <laughs> uh, to be. And um, food was our major problem. My family and I went for days. Actually, if we were to die, we would have died a long time ago. Went for days without eating anything. I have gone four or five days without eating anything. And if we had to eat food, it was rotten food that we picked from uh, the trash cans or the market. And actually eating once a day or every day would be a luxury or Christmas uh, for us. So I grew up as a very bitter child because I could not even afford sanitary towels. I remember when I started having my monthly periods, I would take my clothes, cut them into pieces, and that is what I'll use, and come back in the evening and wash my own blood, hang the clothes to use the next day, praying that they will dry because if they never dried, I would use wet clothes and I would smell and I just lived a shameful life and I was so bitter to, with God and bitter with life and you know, I wondered if God exists, why do we have to go through this suffering? Like we can't get anything, we're just uh, there. And uh, at some point, I felt and I contemplated, I wish, you know, my family would die. I would kill everybody in my family plus I and just we go and die and live this suffering. Um, but I thank God for poverty and uh, because I, when I was seven years old, uh, God brought Compassion International into my life and I was sponsored and uh, at first we thought it was all about food because I always looked up to Saturdays where I will go to this project and uh, will be given food. So I'll pretend that I'm not full because I, I would always carry a plastic bag with me and go for a second share and a third share and put this food in that plastic bag to carry home because yes, I've eaten what about my family. It's at the compassion that I learned about, you know, breakfast and lunch and a balanced diet. And I really thank God for compassion because I got my first Bible when I was at the Compassion Project, and I received Christ while there, and this changed everything. You know, I started seeing Compassion as a diff in a different angle because people in the slums are so hopeless. I was so hopeless, and we lived on today. People live on today and now, but when I received Christ, I received hope. And, uh, you, know, I uh, you know, as much as we are physically poor, but spiritually, I got rich and I got to draw closer to God and have a relationship with him. And I said, I'd rather die poor, but I knew, because I knew that spiritually I was rich and I knew where I was going to this God who is um, very great. And I thank also God for compassion because they gave me, uh, you know, that is why I started celebrating birthday and Christmas. And I remember getting my first toothbrush at the Compassion Project. And we shared, all of us, that one toothbrush. But I thank God for my sponsors. They are so special in my life and to my family uh, because, um, you know, 
they gave me hope and they gave me an opportunity to be who I am. I remember them writing me letters. I've never met them uh, physically. And uh, they would tell me, Maureen, we love you so much. We're praying for you. And we have a picture of you on our refrigerator. I never knew what a refrigerator was. And so I had to go and ask what a refrigerator was. And our social worker took time to explain, you know, even through sign language for me to be able to understand. And uh, they continue and said, Maureen, you are beautiful. Nobody had ever told me that I was beautiful. And I grew up knowing that I was ugly. And you know, most women, most girls believe in the slam, believe they are ugly. And the only people who tell them they are beautiful are these wrong people who mess up with their life. And so that was huge, being told with a white person. In Kenya, we call them Mzungo. And uh, it was huge that Mzungo had told me that I'm beautiful. And I took that in, and you know they had seen the inside of me and the outside of me because I was very skinny and malnourished. But they say that I was beautiful, so that was huge to me. And from that day onwards, I was like, it doesn't matter who else will tell me that I'm ugly, but I knew inside me that I was beautiful and I was fearfully and wonderfully made. And you know, if it was not for that, you know, spending 18 years in compassion being given that opportunity and being transformed and empowered, I'll not be who I am today. So I'm thankful to God for compassion and for my sponsors. And uh, I've been able to go to the university, me being the first person in my family to go to the university and graduated with a degree in education, English and literature. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm the first person to come to America. And God has done so much. And if my sponsors who are far away and they gave me an opportunity, this malnourished child, what about me who sees poverty every single day? I just represent, I represent all the children who are poor and all the women and girls who go through, you know, all these kinds of things. Maybe their story is even worse than me because, thank God, I never prostituted or did abortion or some of the worst things uh, that they do. And um, that's why, you know, I believe that so much has been given to me and uh, so much is expected of me. And I just want to spend the rest of my life just giving back to these women and uh, babies that I serve at Mercy House and just to tell them that, you know, God loves you so much, you're beautiful, and you can become who uh, you want to be. And just giving them an opportunity. And I'm so grateful to God for making me who I am and, uh, you know, just changing my story to be his own story. That's right. Amen. So your reaction was the same reaction that we had when we had the opportunity, Pastor Benji, myself, and the campus pastors to travel to Kenya and meet Maureen and hear her story and see the Mercy House. And so that's where New Hope's story began to intertwine. So Kristen and Maureen together partnered to start Mercy House, this home for amazing um, young girls, usually aged 12 to 15, who have been in survival prostitution or victims of sexual abuse and rescue them. And so we'll hear about 
about that, but I'm gonna tell you how your story has woven in with their story. So we had met her in the last uh, Kenya trip, some of you in here um, and around the campuses journeyed with us. And so we went to Mercy House after spending the day in Kibera in the slums, just as a reminder of the hope that the gospel can offer. And so we came and saw Maureen and spent the day at the Mercy House home. And while we were there, um, we saw on the grounds an unfinished well. And so we discreetly asked about it to see, you know, what what this was because we had been praying that while on this trip we would realize and see God's direction in our second Hope Rising water project. You guys know that part of Hope Rising through your generosity that you've given to Hope Rising, we've committed to do six water projects and we had not yet identified the second. So we made some inquiries and I'm proud to tell you that thanks to Hope Rising, now we have New Hope has funded the completion of the water well so that on Mercy House property, they now will have a well to provide clean drinking water for all the girls and the babies and the children there. So great job, New Hope, great job. And just real quickly before we dive into Mercy House, tell us um, anything that, like how will it benefit the girls or how will it help Mercy House? Well, first, um, on behalf of Mercy House and the girls and the babies and everyone from Kenya, we just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for giving uh, towards the finishing of our wells. And, you know, first of all, it's, it just boosted my faith in God and, you know, I stopped limiting God because I, I remember when uh, we had to stop it and uh, she had to fundraise for it. And, you know, it's not easy to fundraise. But when we were just praying and God answered our prayer, I was like, he just wants us to surrender everything to him. And that really boosted my faith in him and I've stopped limiting him from that day. And thank you for that water well because um, it's going to help. It's helping in a great way uh, in our two homes uh, because our babies and our girls will be able to get clean available water that is there in plenty, something that they've never had. We've always had to buy water which is expensive and the water that we are being given is not even enough. So now they'll enjoy, you know, availability of water with so much pressure and it's clean and they can use it at whatever time uh, they want and their clothes will be clean and everything because, you know, now we have water in Royama House. And um, also, uh, we'll also be able, uh, our home will be able to offer water services to uh, our neighbors. We have slums and villagers around us, so we'll be able to offer them uh, clean water, which will be affordable because they'll only pay, they'll pay less money than the other projects pay, which is a huge thing to them. So you not only supported Mercy House, but we also supported the communities around our maternity home. So thank you so much, and may God bless you, and forever reward you and fill your cups. Amen, amen. So excited. Well, we know that there's so many girls and over 30 girls have been rescued and so we can't tell you all their stories, but we did want to give you a glimpse into one of the girls' story, um, a 12-year-old. Um, and so we wanted to um, give you some, just a peek into that story, just as a representation of some of the girls that they're doing. So tell us a little bit about Lillian and what uh, Mercy House has meant to her. So we rescued Lillian a few years ago and I'll never forget the day that 
Maureen and I got on Skype to discuss her rescue. And you have to know just you know, where we have come from and where we started. After that trip to Kenya in 2010, um, I'm a mom and a writer, and I've never done anything like this before. And Maureen was uh, experiencing electricity and learning how to use a computer for the first time. And we were, I have a picture on my desk of my husband with a, draw, a drawing where he's showing her how to plug in a printer. And he has like the three prongs and showing her. So that's where we started. So um, God has taken our... Um, weaknesses and our inadequacies and our inexperience and he's done mighty work so whatever you see in us it's really him that we're um, we're revealing his glory not our own um, when Maureen uh, started the conversation that day she said uh, um, I don't want to alarm you but I have some news for you um, and I said okay what, what do you need to tell me? And she said, I rescued a girl today and she's 12 years old and she's five months pregnant. And at the time I had a 12 year old who was outside playing soccer in the backyard and I remember just being so overwhelmed by this because that's a child and um, we don't have a plan B for these babies. We, we want the mothers to be their mothers and uh, we don't want them to go into a Kenyan government run orphanage. And so uh, we pray and, and and trust God to turn these really traumatized young girls into mothers. And he's done that over 30 times. And so with Lillian, what was more extreme about her case is Maureen said, I'm concerned that there's something wrong with her, that she has the mental capacity of a five or six year old. She has been so abused and traumatized um, that I, I, we don't know what this is gonna look like. And and so we began just to pray and ask God to do what only he can do. And, um, and he has worked miracles beyond our, our understanding. Um, she, when Lillian came into the home, she didn't talk a lot and was, um, wasn't able to perform tasks. And she was just very slow. And after time of just receiving love from Maureen and her staff, Lillian began to open up and change and receive uh, just healing and we realized that she had really just withdrawn into her mind to protect herself and it was a survival um, technique that thankfully she was able to use just to protect herself and Lillian today is the leader in our home she is the resident leader of all the girls a very challenging um, and beautiful responsibility that she's been given because of what God has done and we're actually going to watch live video footage of Lillian's rescue in Kenya that Maureen and her husband did and I, the words that you hear it's Lillian's testimony we asked the girls if any of them felt like they were ready to share their story that we could share in America and Lillian was one of the first to say I'm ready to share my story and it's difficult to hear um, what she's gone through but she's a true testimony of what God is able to do I share my story as a testimony of what God can do to change one's ashes to beauty. My mother died while giving birth to me. I was an only child. I have never had a chance to meet my father. I was raised by a distant grandmother. Though she did not have much, she tried as much as she could to ensure that we had something to eat. I recall that she used to have one cow which she milked. She would wake up very early in the morning and walk miles to sell the milk, and I would be left alone at home. I was around three years old. 
Being alone at home was dangerous. I remember a neighbor sneaking into our house every day to molest and defile me. It was so painful and traumatizing. My grandmother did not attempt to make matters any better, even after telling these instances to her. An aunt allowed me to move in with her in her home in Kibera Slam. I thought that my life would be better. She enrolled me in school, but she was never able to pay my school fees. I remember being home alone one day, and a neighbor noticed. He took advantage and raped me. When my aunt got wind of what had happened, the man ran off. I grew up a bitter child. I had no one to talk to, and I hated my life. The environment I lived in was, was not any better, and I had to conform to the pattern to survive. To me, being defiled was normal and was not a big deal. I got pregnant at 12 years old. I became confused and depressed. But light comes in the morning. A neighbor introduced us to Mercy House. It has been heaven on earth for me. I was warmly welcomed and embraced. I had good food to eat, a place to sleep, and clean clothes to wear. I got a counselor who walked with me and was always ready to listen. I slowly started to heal and I was happy. I was introduced to Jesus and I have accepted him to be my Lord and Savior. I feel Jesus loves me very much and my trust in him has grown. I can now pray with faith and wait for my answers. My social skills and self-esteem have been boosted. I gave birth safely to my son. Emmanuel and both of us are taken care of. I love my baby very much. I want to thank Mercy House for helping me and my son. I'm assured of a bright future. I am who I am because they believed in me and took me in for transformation. And indeed, I am a totally different person. May God bless Mercy House. So Lillian represents one of many, and um, we're just so honored to be a part of the Mercy House story. And Mercy House has actually expanded beyond Kenya. Why don't you give us a quick little peek into where Mercy House is now, even a couple years later? Yes, so our God is big, and when he says, do you want to do something, and we say yes, sometimes he takes us deeper than um, we ever thought we would go, and, and um, I think it makes us rely on him because we can't do these things on our own. Um, we're called Mercy House Global now, and it's because of girls like Lily, and um, we want these girls to be able to uh, live on their own someday and to return home, but we realize that it's hard to uh, hear the gospel when you're hungry. It's hard to um, receive when you have nothing to give, and so we believe um, in providing jobs for women, and that's really um, where Mercy House has grown. Uh, we provide jobs now for thousands of women, including Lillian's aunt, who you saw in the video signing papers to send her to our home. Um, these women make product, fair trade product, and we bring that to America, and we have a lot of different ways to sell that product, including a fair trade subscription club. And we work with 45 small groups of women, like the women in our maternity homes, and many other groups in Kenya, and then also in 24 other countries where we're providing thousands of jobs every month through this Fair Trade Subscription Club. And really what God has shown me um, in the faces of women around the world is that they don't want a handout from us, and they don't want charity. 
women in Haiti and Kenya and Ethiopia and around the world, they don't want us to feed their children and they don't want us to send their kids to school and they don't want us to pay their rent. They want to do that. They want to provide for their families and when we're able to provide work, hard work where they learn a skill, we are restoring dignity. And really, that's what Mercy House is about. We're offering dignity to these women. And so you can become a part of that club, and that helps us provide jobs for these women. And we do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So again, just grateful for what you all are doing. And it's just so exciting to be part of that story. Um, so not too many years ago, you were just like us sitting here in a church on a Sunday morning. Um, what would you say to those of us who, you know, aren't running a global ministry at this point in time? I mean, what are your words of encouragement to us as New Hope? Well, the only thing that separates me from you is just a few steps. I'm still a mom and wife and trying to figure out um, how to follow Jesus and how to obey him. Um, so there are no pedestals or platforms in my world. Um, but I would encourage you, when I left Kenya on that trip in 2010, the Compassion International leader sat us down and he really commissioned us to respond to what we had seen. Um, you can't hear stories like Lillian's and see these pictures and hear testimonies like Maureen's and be the same. And what I realized sitting there in that room in Kenya in 2010 was that I had never responded. I had always just been one to receive from a young child all the way until I was 37 years old in that room, sitting there receiving just a lot of scripture and faith and healing from my own life, but I had never stepped out and responded. And doing nothing is a response. And that had always been my choice. And I determined that day I was going to do something. And I wanna challenge you to do the same. Don't let your response today be nothing. Um, there's a reason we're here and there's a reason you're here. And it just reminds me of Matthew 25, um, verse 42 through 51, which is really um, a prophecy. It's an end time uh, foretelling of what's going to happen that Jesus gives us a glimpse to in scripture. And um, I interpret that so differently now, um, and I, I want to read it to you today. Uh, Matthew 25, 42. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd, se as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. I was pregnant, and you rescued me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to eat? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothes you? When, when did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. This passage of scripture is a warning for us. It's a severe warning for us today. I believe that we're saved by faith and grace alone. And 
We don't have to do good works to go to heaven. But I believe when we are saved by faith and grace alone, we will do these things in Jesus' name. This is what a believer looks like, someone who is looking for opportunities and acting on chances to feed and clothe those who have more than we have. And I think that's the hallmark quality of a person who has received mercy. They give mercy. And Maureen and I aren't extraordinary. We're not brave. I think most of what we do, it's a scared, shaky yes. But we have received so much. I was rescued from spiritual poverty and she was rescued from physical poverty and God joined us together so that we could extend mercy to those who need it. Thank you. Amen. Wow. If, you, if you're interested in hearing more about this story, um, they have a couple great books. I'll have to do a little promo here. Rhinestone Jesus is a great story that goes more into their particular story. There's a few other books in the Resource Center. And Maureen and Kristen will both be out in the rotunda today. Um, just talk to them, hear their story more. Check out their website. There's some things out there. Um, Lillian's story, if it really moves you, is out there. There's a little bracelet and a card if that's something that you want to hang on to if that moved you. But know again that um, they just represent one small um, act of faith, an opportunity of really seeking to live as an Acts 2 church doing that. So New Hope, let's do a welcome. We're going to get them out to the rotunda so that after the service ends, you guys are able to do that. So let's give them a big thank you for being here at New Hope today. guys can be seated. But again, let's not, let's not let it in there. I love Kristen's challenge to us to truly respond. And doing nothing, as she said, is a response. And so we wanted to really encourage you. And first of all, know that being part of New Hope you are doing something through your tithes and offerings and through your hope rising. As you've heard today, a portion of every resource given is designated for hope missions for both local and global missions. So thank you for being generous and thank you for investing in kingdom work around the world. So you are indeed part of the story that way. But if there's a inkling in you that you want to respond in another way. We've made it easy for you. If you should have gotten one of these cards as you come in, everybody grab that card really quick. It's got finding hope on it. And we just wanted to get you to consider possibly another way of getting involved. The first is prayer. Let's not underestimate the power of all of us uniting in prayer, praying for Mercy House for those girls, praying for all those affected by poverty, both close and far. There's so much we can do and such an untapped resource if we truly unite together as a body of believers and truly pray. Learning more about Global Hope Missions. Guys, you are part of a church that loves missions and there's so many opportunities. We'd love for you to consider joining. Again, whether it's serving a meal at a homeless shelter here in downtown Durham or in one of our campuses, who knows, there's lots of opportunities. If you're just interested in getting involved, mark that box. 
The next one is something that's near and dear to our heart, that's sponsoring a compassion child. You saw and heard firsthand what a compassion sponsorship can do to literally save and change a life. We've got 50 packets in the rotunda of children in Kenya. There's 50, that's 50 lives that could be changed and who knows what God's going to do. If you've thought about that, stop by the table and check out one of those packets. So many of you already sponsor kids, great job. Know that you're truly investing in changing the future. And then the last thing is, love you to join me on a mission trip. We could send teams to Haiti, to Kenya, and locally here in the US, typically the Appalachian area that's so poor. Think about that in 2017. It'll change your world in a great way, in a great, great way. So if you've even just thought about it and you said, oh, I don't have the money, that's okay. You can fundraise and God will provide a way. Pray about that, it's a great opportunity just to broaden your world and see third world countries that are affected by poverty unlike anything you can imagine. You saw some pictures and you heard some stories today, but something happens when you go in person and you can go stop by Mercy House and see Maureen again if you join us on a Kenya trip. So pray about that as we get ready to move into our tithes and offering time. Again, thank you for being a generous church that invests in works of kingdom all around the world. And if you'd like to fill that out, drop that in the offering basket as it passed. And we look forward to you being a more vital part of Hope Missions around the Carolinas and Kenya and Haiti and globally. Thank you, New Hope. Let's close out in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to gather here today in all of our different locations united as a body of believers, God. You've blessed us in so many ways and we're so encouraged and challenged by stories like Maureen, by stories like Kristen and all the things that you have provided for opportunities to help change the world, God. Help us be challenged by the acts passage of the early church and how they indeed did life together, they gathered together, they broke bread together, and they served those in need around them. God, help us to be an Acts 2 church that's passionate, not just about what happens here and inside the walls of our campuses, but is passionate about everything and every person around the world and serving those in need, God. It's in the strong name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Thanks for being a part of this week's podcast. If you have any prayer requests or praises, we'd love to hear from you. Just email our pastors and staff at prayers at newhopenc.org, and we would love to pray for you. If you'd like to support the ministries of New Hope, just stop by one of our campuses or visit us online at newhopechurch.org. We hope you'll join us next week for the podcast, and thanks for being a part of our church family.